Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Cloud Architects Podcast. Super, super excited to be recording again. Um, as you may have noticed, we've we've been a little slow with episodes this year, and uh, yeah, we're always excited to to catch up with Mr. Nicholas Blank. Hey, hello, Chris. I'm very excited to be back. <laughs> not not as excited as if you had two cups of coffee before the episode, right? No, it's been a one cup morning and uh, <laughs> being stuck in traffic before trying to get onto the show and balancing time zones. It's always, always a treat. It's one of those things that you call character forming, don't you? Right, right. And, and of course, you're about to kick off your day. We're just coming to the end of our day, which is nice because after this, I'd be putting my feet up. Um, but Really excited to be talking to our guests. We've been kind of talking about trying to set this up for a little while now, and I'm glad we finally were able to kind of get it done and, and actually get on here and hit record. So, um, Akhang Shamalik, thank you so much for joining us. Super excited to be talking to you. Uh, for those who don't know you, do you mind uh, just giving us a little introduction about who you are and what you do? Yep, no problem. Thank you for having me. Um, I think just before we started hitting record, Nicholas was like, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Because I don't really know you. And I'm like, oh my God, bios, why are they so hard? And I've forgotten how to do it. Um, I'm a human that lives in Melbourne. Um, I think that's a good place to start in this like AI world of like, nope, still human. It's actually me in person today. Um, but yeah, I'm a Microsoft AI MVP. I've been a data and AI consultant uh, working essentially across different consultings and stuff, helping a bunch of different businesses make better decisions with their data and maybe yeah. better choices with their AI <laughs> offerings as well, especially in the current times as it's going. Um, but yeah, that's kind of who I am from a professional perspective. Um, I'm also really passionate about kind of diversity and do a lot of work in that space, essentially getting women and people from kind of a non-binary or any other kind of on my God, I've lost my complete English. Like, I don't know how to English anymore, but underrepresented um, kind of backgrounds and stuff. Uh, folks anywhere in that kind of background, I'm really happy to support. So I run Women to Code in Melbourne and a bunch of different kind of um, offerings around that area too. God, that was a very rampy intro, but here you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's, that's super intro. interesting. Yeah, exactly, right? I, I think I think one of the great things that we've learned over the, the years of doing this is that we like to try and be a little bit raw about it as well, right? Mm -hmm. it, you know, you uh, you can't always go and edit out everything. And, and we don't, you know, in real life, what differentiates us from the AI mm -hmm. is that we actually we actually make mistakes when we speak, right? Although, depending on who you ask, you may find that some of that PowerShell, those PowerShell commandlets that Open uh, ChatGPT has given you may not actually exist or, or things like that, right? It happens. But oh, yeah. um, <laughs> big, big area though, because data in itself is a big area, right? And I think Nick, Nick has kind of delved into the trenches a little bit with large data lakes and, and that type of stuff. And, and what you said about helping organizations make better decisions with their data. That's a big, that's a pretty, pretty big area. But then when you kind of add AI to the fold, and and mm. of course AI is on the lips of everyone at this point. Um, man, it's it, it, I mean, it sounds like fun, but it also sounds like that's that's a lot. Like it could be, you know, stressful or, or overwhelming type of place to be. It's an interesting area, I think, especially in the sense of the last couple of years, and obviously this is very much from an Australian perspective. Australia has a market in terms of AI. Mm is kind of getting there like they want it but they're not fully kind of mature enough to be actually able to implement it uh, in most of the context uh, that businesses come in but that is a conversation that i've had many many times kind of in those meetings where it's just like we want ai and you're like 
okay, great. Is that the AI that you've heard everywhere as a buzzword and you just want to be able to say you have AI? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is 90% of those conversations. Um, and then there's people are like, no, actually, this is a problem we have and this is how why we want to fix it and this could be helpful to use an AI. I'm like, oh, so you actually thought about what you want to do here and there's an actual problem at hand. Let's actually discuss this. Um, and this is kind of the bread and butter of consulting a little bit as well, where a lot of the conversations we have are like, okay, what are you actually trying to do? Like, you, I get yes. that you want to have all the cool stuff that's amazing but what's your problem at hand let's kind of dig into the problem and a lot of the times the problem that they're actually trying to solve doesn't need ai it doesn't need fancy stuff it's just a case of Mm. hey maybe if you just train the people correctly to actually store their data correctly you won't have all these issues with kind of miscaptured data or missing data and things like that there's a lot of it there's a lot of alternative options to use before you kind of jump to we need to create a brand new model that would solve our problems um, so yeah, it's a really interesting space to be in. I think over the last what three months, where everything's exploded a little bit, uh, mm. it has changed a lot. I think it's been interesting because up until now, AI has always been this thing that everyone kind of knows it's a thing. They're like yeah, that's that mm-hmm. cool futuristic kind of world that people don't into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like that's like the two percent of the world that knows yeah. kind of less. It's probably less than two percent. Uh, that knows what actually is happening. And these are the people who've done their maths, PhDs and stuff and actually building the stuff. And then there's like another like couple of percentage of the world, which are people like us who are kind of really interested in it and can play around with it and kind of understand the concepts around it. That still leaves 95% of the world who has nothing to do with it and they don't care. And what the last couple of months have done, I think in my perspective anyway, is just it's brought the whole thing to light to kind of everybody. And that is, I think, where the hype is coming from it's an interesting thing where I've like, I've been around a lot of real deep, like AI people, right? Like these are people who have PhDs and have been in the industry for 25 years. And I'm like, I haven't even been alive long enough to know what you're talking about half the times, but they are just so irritated by the hype because they're like, this is just basic stuff. This is nothing new. This is nothing cutting edge. Why are people hyping this? And I think they're missing that fact of, we're 95% of the world who did not care about anything related to this mm. is just being shown the power behind this for the mm. first time in a way that is understandable and kind of contextualized for them. And they can go in and use it and in a really, really user-friendly way. Mm. That's mm. what's cutting edge about this, that we're bringing mm. kind of everyone else onto the whole fold of this. I'd like to ask you, if you don't mind, because we... we AI is this thing, right? And we talk yep. about AI as if we know what it actually is. And is AI automation or is AI really advanced automation or is it something else altogether? If you had to explain to a human being on the street or your parents what AI is. You know, it's like, like literally that's how I explained it. I'm like, if I could explain it to my parents in like an hour that explanation is probably good enough for most of the world. Like it'll take, yes. like it won't take most of the world an hour. Don't get me wrong. Now I feel like I'm just being very awful about my parents. They don't take an hour to understand it, but it's Not breaking things apart. Um, no, but I think, and look, and it's nitty gritty, the people who understand these things, they're like, okay, what you're saying is completely wrong, but this is kind of how I explain it. And this is how it makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And if you think this is wrong, like, I mean, tell me, but be nice about it. <laughs> but <laughs> at its base, if I gave you, I don't know, nine plus one or a list of numbers, one, two, three, four, five, 88, nine, 10, you can look at that number and be like, 88 doesn't really fit in there. That's a bit weird. 
great. Like you can pick out abnormalities or you can pick out weird things happening in a structural data set that's sitting in front of you. But you can do that at only a scale that we can see and kind of memorize. And if you can want to compare it to something, it's like your computer having memory. Like there's only so much memory sitting in that laptop that can hold things at the same time. Your brain does the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. My memory's gone to absolute crap over the last like four years with lockdowns. It can even barely hold 10 numbers at this stage. But that is my capacity of being able to reason and kind of move things around in my head and be able to understand and kind of interpret things. Mm-hmm. AI, all it's doing is taking that and just putting it at a scale. It's using my like the same abilities that I put forward of, okay, I can look at this and I can reason with data based on historical trends that I've been taught because I've been taught that, right? I've been taught that the sequence goes from one to 10, increasing by one. So a random spike of 80 is weird because that's mm. the sequencing I know based on historical stuff. Sure. A computer does the exact same thing. It can just do that across millions of data points because it can remember them at the same time when you join up a bunch of different computers. My brain can't do that and I don't really have multiple types of the same brain to hook up into to connect it all up so it's just essentially automating your brain processes a little bit is how i see it and what's really important is it's not smart it's not crazy cool it's not this like huge intelligence bank it's just it knows what's happened in the past and it's spitting out exactly what it's seen before and that's the big thing that people tend to forget about um, every conversation I've had. It's like, hey, it's just what's already happened. It's not making up yes. anything new. It's not yes. making anything cool. Mm. It's what it already knows. <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about a data set and a model. Essentially. And- like, I mean, you're making relationships based on what you see. And you're like, okay, this yeah. keeps happening. So I'm going to remember this format of thinking. And that's a model in a way. Mm. And uh, to be fair, AI can only do what it's been trained to do. And I think one of the the things that we've seen in terms of the hype around uh, chat GPT is the fact that there's an interface, so a normal human can type to it. And that the G, of course, stands for general. So it's a very broad model, and it seems to be good at a whole bunch of things, but it's still limited in terms of what it's able to do because of how it's been trained. Can you tell us a little bit more about AI training and how that's relevant to AI just to make AI useful? Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, this is essentially the biggest part of almost any project I've been involved with was usually, okay, this is the business problem you're trying to solve. Great. What's the data you have that supports Mm. A, that this is a problem, B, that there is enough of it. Like, for example, I've had clients before that have come in to be like, hey, we want to solve this problem and we want to be able to do time series analysis on this. I'm like, okay, great. Time series analysis for context is just, okay, over time, there's going to be different like seasonality trends and things like that that come up. Sales go up in December because Christmas and people want to buy more stuff. Things like that. You want to be able to track that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Have you got data? And they're like, yeah, we've got loads of data. We've built models before. I'm like, amazing. You're kind of already halfway through. Show me what you got. And um, because I was being brought on to be like, hey, can you just sense check what we've done makes sense, essentially. And I kind of came in and they had three years of data, which when you think about it, you're like, yeah, that's a lot of data that you've stored. Amazing. But when you think about it from that specific perspective of trying to build out, say, a time series analysis, if you want to do it at a monthly scale, you've got three data points because you've got three years worth of three different months data points. That's nothing, right? That's not a trend. That's not kind of a historical back end that you can be like, yes, oh my God, we've got so much like proof and evidence into why the next month will look like this. And so that context part in terms of those training aspects really comes in very, very handy. Um, You could have 
millions and millions and millions of lines of code and data sets and everything ready to go. And it's perfectly clean. It makes sense. Everything's great. But you're not recording, let's say, the exact specific thing you're actually trying to model or you're trying to predict in the future. All that data you have, which is perfect and it's clean, which never happens in the real world, (laughs) is useless because it's not actually related to what you're trying to answer. So in terms of trying to figure out what that training data set looks like or what you're actually trying to answer, all of it really just comes down to, and this is something I've talked a lot about in the past uh, with colleagues and stuff, that human design approach. And so design as a concept, I feel like not a lot of people in data science or data consulting tend to look at a lot, but I was very lucky. <laughs> like in one of the like earlier jobs I started, we had a really big design uh, team, not a big design team, but they were always involved, uh, like a really, really good design team. Um, and those people taught me so much. <laughs> and it was basically being able to kind of start the project at that level of like, but why are we doing this? And breaking that problem down to be like, okay. This is your problem. Break that down. What do you actually need to solve this problem? Is it AI is the first question usually. It's like, it's probably not. Next question is, okay, do we have the data to be able to fix the problem, whatever it might be? And the other end is usually it's not. You don't have the data. And so the solution to it usually is, okay, how do we build the best pipeline to get you the data you need and store it properly and make sure that the people who collect this data understand why they need to be storing it properly um, so that it's not faulty within the next two months and then it's just crap data that you've got stored um so yeah kind of coming back to where it's the generative side of like i think chris you mentioned like things just ai or chat gpt tells you things that are just completely wrong it happens all the time and that's because what is being when it's being trained um as this general model it's been told and it's been taught that what you're going to be valued on responses is answers like, so what it knows is like, you've asked me a question, I have to give you an answer, right? That's the bait. Like, and it doesn't matter what the answer is. As long as I'm giving you an answer, I'm succeeding. That's what the model seems to be thinking because I've asked it questions. <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted at the responses yes. sometimes. Like yes. it is just the funniest thing. But, and that's the really, really scary part about most of these generative stuff at the moment is it will lie to you with such confidence that you will believe it. <laughs> And that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's so scary. Especially, especially <laughs> when, how? yeah, folks are like writing code, right? They're using, they're using this to write code for them. And of course, the co- it's, it's coming up with a function or a commandlet that doesn't exist. And you're like, yes. what version of Exchange <laughs> do I need to install to get this commandlet? It doesn't exist. Right? <laughs> and I mean, it, even yeah. taking it away from code and like giving it like rant, like means, I can't remember what I put it in. I put it in for a, I think I was building out a, training course so i was like oh i'd love to be able to like research something i was like hey can you point me towards some books about this specific topic that i can go read yeah and i was like here you go here's a list of books i'm like okay great actually i don't really want to read a book that seems like a lot of effort because that's many many pages i don't have the time so i'm like actually have you got any blog posts about this that i can read that are tldrs of this and like yep here's five blog posts and i'm not even joking these were like harvard business review medium like all the different like blog posts you can think really well-known things and it had like all the like okay well this was the date and this is like the forward like whatever multiple yeah. different parts of the hyperlink every one of those hyperlinks was fake it oh, made wow. it up wow <laughs> so it knows that proper researched articles would be sitting on things like Harvard business review or medium or any of those kind of journal scientific research places so it'll start there and then it'll just make up what it thinks would be a good title for whatever you're trying to research it's what it did mm. to me and i'm like oh my God, that is not great. Like that's terrifying. 
Yeah. And this is just like, and this is where that fear of that 95% of the real world using this kind of mm. stuff mm. and being very quickly disillusioned to it. So that gap of understanding and knowledge bit is a bit mm. not great. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is you can't even, like I can't log into LinkedIn at the moment without someone posting something about how, you know, ChatGPT yes. is going to take my job or basically end my career or how ChatGPT has just saved them 15,000 hours worth of something and written their book for them or whatever the case may be, right? It's all these ridiculous yeah. posts. And I feel like so much of this fear-mongering is happening. But what I don't understand is what their angle is because they're trying to promote the or, or, or spread this sort of FUD about how AI is going to change the future. And it may very well change the, the way we do things in certain, you know, in certain industries, et cetera. But I don't understand what's in it for them to make all these, you know, why would you spread this stuff? What's in it for you? What are you doing? It's is it just, I was going to say, is it purely there just to get get the get the clicks or, or what I is mean, it? But it's so topical right now. I see it. Part of it is definitely that. I've seen some uses of it where people are just putting it up for the sake. I mean, LinkedIn is like a real mm. mesh pool of kind of people. <laughs> yes. For the sake of yes. I mean, I've done that where I've gone into chat GPT to be like, hey, can you write a LinkedIn post based on this kind of a, like a 26 year old's point of view of like this, this, this. And yeah. it's interesting to see what it comes up with because you're like, wow, those are the exact posts I hate seeing. Amazing. Yes. Never do that again. Yes. Um, yes. But I think the whole fear mongering, I mean, yes, look, it's going to change a lot. I think it's going to change the education industry, the way we teach. Mm. Um, kind of kids at that kind of school, high school level, um, university, like that's going to change and it's going to be a really, really big change. And it's going to be for the better. I think, mm. um, I taught myself how to make a website. I've never made a website in my life before. We hosted a conference mm. in March and like the team were all flat out team and they're like, Hey, can someone make the website? And I was like, I don't know. I've never done that. And they're like, that's just a static web page. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I've never had to do that. They're like, you'll be like, they're like, you're smart. You can figure it out. Off you go. Like, just please yeah. do this. I'm like, okay, fine. And I'm not joking when I say I've never written a word of HTML. I was not a part of like the early internet time where that was a thing where everyone knew. Like I skipped that part and then I put it into chat GPT and it made me a website. And it was topical enough to be like, Hey, I'm trying to build a website for a conference and it build an agenda with like, there would be networking areas and this would be a break. And like, it did all of the stuff for me. And I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, great. And you'd be like, Oh, we forgot about that networking area. We better get that set up. <laughs> That's also true. I will give it time. Kind of really helpful in like ideating stuff. Yeah. Um, and then it was also the kind of, as it would do it, I'd be like, actually what you did there wasn't great. Can you add in like those images need to be circles. Can you change right. that? And it would do that. It's like, Oh, let me update the code for you. But it would also give me like a, this is why this code works and this is what the change did. And I learned how HTML at its essence kind of worked. I'm like, oh, okay, mm. great. Like it took me a day. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here's a website that works. I kind of understand yeah, I mean, HTML now. If I had to do yeah. stuff, I get it. So I think it's going to change a lot of things in that context, which is good. Um, as long as we obviously remember the confident liar bars of like, mm. it lies with real confidence and it's scary. Mm. Yeah. Um, but in terms of kind of that fear mongering side, yeah, it's, it's a weird place to be in with it. There's just so much good that comes out of it that people mm. aren't actually seeing. Like there's people who are making real good uses. And I know we keep talking about chat GPT, but it's like the most topical one out mm. there at the moment. There's other mm. ones like mid-journey and things like that. But you can't really see as quick uses for things like I need an image drawn out. Why do I need an image? If you're not mm. a designer, if you're not a specific use case for it. Whereas this is just so open. Like my sister, like she's in uni and she uses it constantly. She's like, I've been using this since the day it came out for almost everything she does at uni. And I'm like, I love that for you. 
like mm. makes your life easier makes you asking me questions easier like i don't have to right. keep answering your annoying questions <laughs> amazing <laughs> like it's things like that where it'll really kind of pull into people's day-to-day which will be great but that limitations part i think they could do a lot better job with highlighting them they really don't mm. like i mean mm. the other end like i don't know a lot i don't think a lot of people understand that it's only been trained on data up until 2021 which means anything that's happened in the last two years, it doesn't know. So it mm. makes things up. And for, I mean, the reality of that is I released my podcast in 2021. So I think it was just before the cutoff or just at the cutoff. But there wouldn't have been enough things online about it for it to really have been trained on, let's say, my po- podcast, Pats and Covered. And I've mm. put it into it before being like, hey, what's this podcast about? And I'm not even joking. It will tell me that, oh, this podcast. And for context, I've done enough research to know that no one else owns the name and has nothing related to my mm. podcast name anywhere else. Right. It will make up this random guy, which really pisses me <laughs> off. We'll talk about bias in a second. A random guy who has built this podcast and this is what they talk about. I'm like, no, no, it's me. It's my podcast. Why are you lying about my content? And that's the scary stuff then again, right? And this is I'm right. coming to that bias thing of it's assumed that it's going to be a guy building something about technology podcasts. Yeah. And those kind of biases. And it's, I'm like, is ChatGPT offensive and racist? Like, whatever, misogynistic? No, it's trained on data that is saying that, essentially, about the society we live in. And it's, yeah. again, just spitting that back out. It's kind of the whole, it's not making up intelligence. It's not smart. It's just spitting it back up, whatever we've already taught it in the real world. Yes, I've seen, I, I, I've seen I, I, a bunch I, I, of, sorry, Nick. I was going to say, I've seen a bunch of, uh, bunch of Twitter conversations and threads over the last while of, of exactly that, right? Someone's asked about a doctor or something and ChatGPT has just assumed the doctor was male, right? It was like, well, mm-hmm. hang on. We, we, we could have a female or whatever, uh, non-binary uh, doctors as well. It doesn't have to always be a, a male person. Yeah, yeah. Go, go on, Nick. I'm sure you have a better point than that. No, no, not at all. I have a, a real life story to share about chat GPT and, and its confidence. So um, I have uh, teenage kids and teenage kids will go, uh, well, they'll go online before they talk to humans, right? And so I have this problem. and I, I um, do that too, just for reference. And and beforehand it was Dr. Google. What is Dr. Google saying about my condition? And now it's what is chat GPT saying about my condition? <laughs> So one of our, our kids phoned us in absolute hysteria. It's like, what's wrong? Like, who died? Who's bleeding? You know, as a parent, it's mm-hmm. like you, you have this order priority. Okay, is there blood? No. <laughs> Are there bones sticking out of you? No. Is it facing the wrong way? No. Okay, it can't <laughs> be that bad. So, like, what, what is the issue? It's like, I have a burst eardrum. But how, how do you know? Well, I was cleaning my ears. And now I can't hear anything out of that ear, and that ear has got a burst eardrum. So, like, um, okay. So, you know, having been of that age yourself and having done things with ears and earwax and that kind of thing, you're like, it's like, okay, you you compacted the wax in your ear, but let's let's just figure this thing out. What what makes you come to the conclusion that your eardrum is broken? ChatGPT was like. Such confidence is like, yeah. I have diagnosed myself with chat GPT. It cannot be wrong. You need to take me to hospital. Like, uh, okay. So we, we, we've got this entire generation who, and think about what COVID's done to us. It's, it's brought us into doing everything online. And I need to find my answers online. I'd rather talk to a human on the other side of a phone than actually phone the person. 
And now it's extrapolating into, I'd rather talk to AI than a human <laughs> because it feels safer or there's no judgment or the, the, the less appearance of judgment in case I've made a mistake. However, if that AI is producing answers that are actually just answers for the sake of answers, then that's not a, a cool place to be. It's a really, really interesting, oh, that's terrifying. It really is. And I think the way, oh God, the last three years with the way everything about COVID has gone down and that level of mistrust that it has built in almost every person is just like as a society, there is just such a high mistrust in almost anything and everything, which, I mean, I keep seeing so many things, like even just the things of like the blue ticks being taken away. I'm like, why are the blue, like why, what? I won't get into Twitter. We will never end that conversation. But like, it's just the levels of like, we're taking away such base levels of like trustworthy sources. And then when I compare it to what I think about, I mean, I would have never thought about it lying to that level of like making up links and like sources. Mm. I really would have never thought it would come to that. And having seen that for myself now, I'm like, well, if I was to go ask it something like that, or like a government rule or laws or regulations and stuff, is now going to start making up those too because mm. and at the end of it it's not just it's not trying to give you false information again yeah. it's been taught to give you an answer that's what it's been trained to do and that is what has been rewarded by like if you give a good answer and you're confident about it that's good like that's what the model knows so it'll try and please you with that and it is there's just a lot to be said there we had um on our, the global ai podcast we had a professor um, and a lecturer from one of the universities and they were doing research in AI and couples therapy and when you hear that as a topic terrifying <laughs> it's just like I want this happening and I want to be the one interviewing because I need to ask these questions of like how are you ethically okay with this like this cannot be okay and in fairness this is all very much in like research and like trials and stuff but as I talked to him about it I think about and we talked about this in that session we were like I think about my own, like I go to therapy and I'm very thankful for it. God, COVID, the one thing it's done, and I will talk about it to the end of the world, go to therapy, folks. <laughs> it's important. Go talk to somebody. Mental health is not a joke. Um, we'll mm. probably touch on it at some stage through this. But yeah, like I look at what I do and I'm like, I talk, I mean, it's an hour long session with my therapist, for example, and I'm probably talking for 45 minutes of it. And she, at the end of it, basically just summarizes what I've said and like puts it in a different perspective. And I'm like, mm. oh, Oh, I, mm. oh, okay. Well, now I feel stupid, but also this makes sense. And that was, why couldn't I have just thought of that? And mm. all you're kind of just doing is just laying it all out and someone else is paraphrasing it for you. Mm. And from that context, it was like, ChatGPT would be perfect for this. If I just sat there and was just like, weird vomiting into ChatGPT being like, this is what I feel like today. And this is how the world has wronged me. And I asked it to just like paraphrase this into a different perspective. It could probably do that. And it would make sense. Would it be kind so about it? I'd, I'd like to. Like, I'd like to challenge you on that. And mm. it's because having, you know, as you say, COVID wasn't kind to us, and we we learned um, having to learn about things like cognitive behavioral therapy and reframing as part of a life skill. And you know, I'm I'm a um, huge huge advocate for uh, mental health and and counselling and having to learn skills so that. When something happens, or if life happens to you as it does, that you know how to deal with it. And what yep. you described there was the elegant reframing based on safety, based on compassion. 
Yeah. Now, there's no compassion in AI. There's a desire or a need to generate an answer, which might just take you down the road of, well, I'm sorry that you're feeling suicidal. The ambulance is on its way to your door. As opposed to, well, if you've considered it in the following way, and as a as a as a human being with life experience and as a mentor, I have conversations with people who younger and older than me, but I tend to have um, in a particular area, particularly when it comes to technology, I've had the advantage of being in the industry for a while and having to go through ups and downs and seasonality of, of things. And so have the ability to offer a different perspective. And the the thing here is to offer, not to force. And my concern with ChatGPT or, or generative, and, and you, you said this so elegantly earlier, generative AI is that if you are trained on a data set that doesn't take into account age, sex, cultural context, like we were talking earlier, what language did you grow up with? And mm. how do you think culturally? It's, um, you could be given advice that's just so vertically biased towards a particular set of healthy people that have got nothing wrong with them or suicidal people who are about to die at another extreme. And we don't want to make light of this because these are, um, human life is, is intensely precious. And do we want to trust AI with arguably, after our senses, the, the most important thing in our lives, which is our mental health? Oh, sorry. And that's where I was kind of going with that, where I was like, yes, it can do that at its base level, right? Like, I mean, pretend AI won't be yeah. kind about it. AI, yeah. it won't bring all those exact kind of nuances which a trained mental health physician is ready to do and able to do. And I think that's kind of where all of these limitations and stuff, mm. for example, you're, like your son going and being like, hey, I've got a health thing and like, please fix this. Like WebMD as a creation, I mean, like it's still questionable. Like I get it, information is important, but that is a terrible resource for almost any kind of health related thing that you're looking up at any given point in time. Um, so all those kind of things, like these are the kind of limitations that there needs to, I mean, and this kind of plays on my mind a lot where the whole, it's really great. Like again, we're still talking about ChatGPT, and I'm so I'm sorry for people listening. We're <laughs> like I'm sick of this, but I'm like it's the easiest no. one to compare and analyze. Right. Create analogy words, but it is a clean and simple UI, right? You kind yeah. of go in and it's a chat. Like you put things in and it looks like a chat that you've seen in a million different places. And that's why it's easy. And that's why you feel yeah. comfortable using it. If we start putting in all these kind of like, please beware and like safety and like little, mm. like you have to keep clicking out of like the whole, please be aware. I can't do this. Also be aware. You can't do this. Also, please mm. make sure you doesn't. If we have to add all these, do you ones, accept like, the cookies? Do you accept? I was thinking of the cookies. Like, but it's so many different blockers. If you put into it, yeah. people yeah. just won't use it, right? And so I kind yeah. of get both sides of that argument. But yeah. at the same time, like, where is the middle ground? I don't know. I'm not a designer. I don't know what the best UX way of doing this is. But yeah. that is the one part that is definitely missing. And I think, um, similar to what you were mentioning, uh, Chris, about the LinkedIn stuff of like constantly people saying this is ruining the world. I don't know if you've noticed it recently, there was someone, there's been a bunch of stuff about the music um, where you can actually create new music based on kind of what you like. So if I like Taylor Swift, yeah. but I also like someone else's music, I'm like, oh, can you create new lyrics from this kind of like a pop or whatever alternative yeah. based with this like artist's voice? It can do that. 
And people are like, oh my God, it's going to ruin music forever. Like, why would I ever listen to anyone new when I can just train someone Make to like, stuff. all the yeah. different variations yeah. that I want? And it was an interesting perspective, right? I was like, I get where mm. you're coming from this. Mm. And this is, again, that lack of understanding in terms of what's actually happening. Because again, it's not creating mm. anything new. It's yeah. just creating what already exists. Mm. And therefore, it's not taking away from the future of what else could come or what else you can build and contribute to society because it hasn't been done yet and it won't do it for you. It'll still be humans at that forefront, still building new things. It'll change things at the core mm. front of we won't mm. have menial jobs to do anymore. Things like that will change, which is great. Mm. I think it's, but on the <laughs> sorry, this is going to be a real tangent from what we just said, but I can't remember who said this. It's going to add a lot of um, inefficiencies into the economy as a product or just the formation of this. Because if you think about it, what we currently do for a lot of the world, like, I mean, there's so many people in the world and we all need jobs and we need to be able to provide, like contribute to society and stuff. A lot of jobs that exist are busy work. And that's a thing at times, right? Where like, you're kind of there, you're helping out with the busy work and that keeps people employed. It keeps doing a lot of jobs and stuff. What this kind of does is takes away that, right? Like it takes away all the writing meetings and minutes and having to do all the kind of mm. mandatory paperwork. I'm like, oh, mm. running up all the notes. I've got all that regulatory mm. like paperwork filed away and things. So technically you would think it'd be efficient, but if we're now kind of going in and being like, here are my three bullet points, please write an email. <laughs> and this big long email that looks pleasant to read and looks like mm. professional from what we've set the standards to be in emails. It's added a, the reading time for the other person. And like, it's like, oh my God, what am I trying to get to? It's just the three points mm. that you started with. Why can't you just mm. send those? And the other part of it is like, the other person's probably just going to be putting it into chat GPT being like, hey, can you just tell can me? Can you summarize this? Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. a, now we're kind of almost just introducing inefficiencies again on top mm. of the ones we already had. It's a real interesting, like how will this yeah. actually shift the dynamics? I don't know which end we end up taking. But if that's the kind of way it's going to change, it was it worth it? I don't know. It, I, that's an that is interesting. I think um, it's kind of along the same lines as sort of the whole um, DevOps and automation conversation mm. from like five years ago, right? Like, oh my goodness, automation and DevOps is going to change the world, and everyone's going to lose their jobs because we're not going to need people to do this release management or this or this or this. Well, those two things have just kind of blended together, and and we found more efficient ways to do mm. medial and mundane stuff, but we still have the same amount of people doing it. They've just kind of you know, reskill yeah. themselves in a way. So I feel like there's gonna there's gonna have to be. I gotta leave leave my hands alone so I don't keep banging the mic. Um, there's gonna have to be some some uh, things that come with it, right? Uh, one I think is um, privacy and and all of that, and I think that's gonna be particularly important in a business context, right? You don't want um, all of your your business secrets kind of being shared with with a model that's learning right from from them, right? And and I think yeah. there was um, I, I use this. Um, this uh, example in a in an interview I did the other day, which is Samsung engineers who had been posting, uh, they'd been asking ChatGPT for some help on on some of their coding issues, and it was like proprietary code that they were sticking into the chat, right? Like that's a problem. So I think we're going to see what we need to see, like a privacy um, and governance help. But then I think there's also going to have to be that sort of education to to especially the younger generation who are already all over this that says hey like yes this is going to help this can help explain 
complex you know, science equations to you in an easy way, or how this can help summarize this book report or whatever, right? Use the tool for the good it can do, but don't use the tool for diagnosing your burst eardrums because you know it may not get it right. Um, or at least get another opinion if you think you have a burst eardrum. Uh-huh. Right, call, call your parents. I think there's gonna have to, <laughs> we're going to have to get to a point where, like, as a as a society, we we can use the, the you know the good, but we can also we understand what the bad is. And, and I think you made that point too. It's like the the positives are of of course always being inflated and and put everywhere, but no one ever talks about some of the negatives, right? And 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 being able to um, being able to look at the the drawbacks. But then you also see, and I wanted to, I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, there are already countries. I think Italy have come out with it, uh, with you know, and I think Ohio, the state of Ohio, is is also well up there. They're saying that they're just going to start blocking the use of it, right? I mean, is that the right way to go about this? As, as I, I don't think that's the right approach, right? I mean, I think if you have a powerful tool, you need to educate people to use the tool for what it can be used for, instead of just taking away all access to it. I think, I mean, I was, that's kind of where I was like my thinking had started shifting when you were talking about that. I was like, yeah. that privacy side of things, and I swear I will get to my point, it'll just be a little bit tangential, like a little bit circular and spirally way to get to the we point. Love, but, we, lo- we love rabbit hole tangents. It's all uh, good. Like, I, I feel like we can never just get to the point. There's always just like backstories yeah. to things. But my sister, and she is like a prime example of like a Gen Z person, like she's 21. And I am a weird mix of like, I am terrified because I understand the context of like privacy and what happens with data and things that can go wrong with it data. And the other end is like, I just want to be able to use things and I don't care. I just take mm. it. It's fine. I don't do it as much, but I do understand the levels of it enough to be like, Oh my God, my parents should be terrified that they're reusing passwords in places. And I'm constantly hampering on about that. And then I compare it to my sister. Who's just like, it has all my data anyway. I don't care if it takes more. Like it's already tracking the shit out of me. I don't care if it does everything else about me and it knows every single detail about me it's fine and that's what's scary where the newer generation because they've just been raised with this they've been raised with the cookies their whole lives and they're like i don't even know what these words mean just whatever move out of my way like let me get to what i want to do and it's that whole the tiktok kind of side of i just want to do the thing and move on to the next thing and it only needs to be a five second thing i don't care about the details keep it going it is a really really interesting mix of how things will change and i think in general Globally, we are far too behind on the regulatory part of privacy and data. Like GDPR was great, but I look at it and I'm saying, I'm a European citizen. My data is not being protected, essentially, as it should be, because I'm in Australia. And like, not every Australian business is kind of cognizant of the fact that they're technically having to do GDPR, even if they are not in Europe. People don't understand that those kind of contextualizations of it. Um, and it's interesting because I left... Ireland just as GDPR was coming in. So I think it came in March and I would have moved out in like September, like May, September, sometime in the middle of those. So it was just trying to come in where every business was having to do the pop-up of cookies right before you do anything. So if you've ever been onto a UK website, it's the only thing you'll see when you go into it compared to every other country's websites of anything. And my friends who've just moved over recently in the last couple of months, they're like, oh my God, this is bizarre. I mean, it's nice that the friction has kind of gone away of having to constantly do this, but I'm so used to it and I kind of appreciated knowing my data was protected. I'm a European citizen and my data is not now being protected. And those things are not happening. And like, I know the EU um, is formulating a AI act at the moment and they're working on it. Uh, I really do need to spend some time actually figure out what they're working on. I know it's happening, but I don't actually know the details of what they're working on. But the world is far too behind uh, in terms of what's happening and how much of it is being monitored. 
is saying you can't use it the the answer no 100% not uh, the minute you tell someone that you can't use it and it exists out there for everyone else they're going to find a way of using it you're wasting your time kind of monitoring and blocking that it's a waste of effort but I know the New South Wales um, government is trying to look into it um, I think Lee Hickens he is the Microsoft Australia CTO it's pretty high up in Microsoft Australia anyway. Like he is really involved with the regulatory, regulatory side of things, especially kind of that responsible AI side of things. And we've had a conversation with him about it and how things might change and how they could be implemented. It is a scary, scary world. There is no right or wrong answer out there because none exists at the moment, which is possibly the most scary part of it. Uh, there needs to be an answer. We can't figure out an answer because it's just become so global. There's the level of globalization that exists that it's hard to be like, we are going to do one thing and we won't do the other thing, but the rest of the world can do this. I don't know if there's an answer that isn't a unique, like global answer to this because you can't really block AI from one part to the other. It just no. won't work because it's been trained on the whole thing. Like it's been trained on the internet, which belongs to everyone and that whole democratization of it. And then the other, but the, immediately on the other side of it is like, well, every culture has its own kind of beliefs and that moral values and the moral system of mm. what we think is okay for the model to say back or the model to be trained on. And those kind of nuances that come into that responsible AI side of things that, oh wait, you should have it a bit more localized because what we value mm. will be very different to what another country values. And then you're like, well, okay, wh which is the right answer? I don't know. <laughs> it's a real mess out there. I don't know how this is going to be solved. It is going to be an interesting time over the next couple of months. But that privacy side of things, yeah, very, very terrifying. I know a lot of businesses, though, are working on kind of that enclosed. So open like ChatGPT is run by OpenAI, the company, and they also offer kind of private APIs and stuff, which you can kind of directly use, but it doesn't store your private data or it doesn't actually train and keep training on that. So it doesn't kind of get pushed out to the rest of the world. There's ways around it. They are working on it. I know a lot of the big four have built in their kind of own internal system based on ChatGPT. Like a lot of changes have come in within the last three months. Like they've really mm. jumped onto it. Like I know a fair few teams working on these kind of things here. Mm. How much of it changes and how regulatory it gets. Mm. Maybe yeah. we'll come back and have another conversation it, about it. <laughs> it's so interesting because ultimately, you know, the you there is no such thing as blocking traffic anymore right i mean really yeah. if you want to block something you have to pull it off the internet because we all know like geoloco blocking means nothing anymore i mean yeah. you can buy nordvpn on tv ads like australian television they, they you know they're selling nordvpn like by the handful right so like people know any like most people know how to get around a geo blocking uh, sort of type of situation by now i mean most people are watching american netflix in australia right and stuff like that so we that's that's not the answer that like there's got to be a sort of other ways to to kind of tackle it i think which which is obviously you know yeah like you said it, it's a big problem um yeah uh, the the thing i find fascinating and, and i've come to um learn the same thing, you know, as you mentioned with your sister, with the younger generation don't care about their data being out there, right? Mm. But I also think it's a lot of that is because they also don't understand the consequences of what happens when your data's out there, right? I mean, I, you know, I was just just this week, um, it may have been a current affair or one of the news news programs here. Um, you know, we're starting to see the fallout of the big Australian hacks that happened earlier in the year, right? People are now, you know, their, their, their data was compromised through like the Optus hack or one of the uh, Medibank hack or one of the hacks. And now 
they're starting to file file tax returns. <laughs> People are getting like these fraudulent tax returns being filed. And of course, the news here are like, hey, there's this new scam out there. You know, fraudsters are filing tax returns on your behalf. And we're like, you know what? They've been doing that in the US with, with the IRS for like years, right? Like Brett Johnson was doing that stuff 15 years ago before the internet was the internet, right? So like, it's pretty funny how um, we're seeing the cycle continue itself. But I think a lot of that is, again, it's like they don't understand the consequences of just, yeah, they're, they're a product of the, the Google society, right? You're yeah. When you're not paying for something, you are the product and, and they've grown up with it, as you said, and they're just fine with it. So, um, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people would have, I'm sure a lot of people watched like this, what was it called? The Social Network, uh, whatever uh, Netflix documentary that they did about the whole like, oh my God, you are the conceit, like you are the product and the, the I watched that and I watched it multiple times because I was like, I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I like, I made mom and dad sit down and watch it. And then I made my sister sit down and watch it. So I watched it multiple times. And every time I watched it, I was like ready to throw my phone out the window. And at the same time, I tweeted that, that I was ready to throw my phone out the window. Having <laughs> I'm like, it's a real grim moment in my life. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it really does. I mean, and maybe it is an age thing. Like I've slowly just stopped putting things up onto social media. Like I barely post on it. Um, like LinkedIn and like those kind of like the work things, like, yeah, they go on and stuff. But I mean, yeah. things are changing. Like, I mean, you can kind of notice it with like parents and stuff where it's a constant conversation of how much they share about their kids online and stuff. Mm. And I think, I don't know if you mentioned the, the start, like early on in the podcast where kind of the voice mimicking stuff, that mm. terrifies me. Like I mm. still remember, it was like a couple of years ago where Microsoft like, like previewed um, that kind of one of those uses of AI in some kind of conference or something. I can't remember where it was now. They're like, oh, like you can train in, like there's like private keys that it makes sure that it won't be copying anyone else's. And like, they tried to put like regulatory stuff mm. around it. Mm. So they were responsible about it. They were trying to be responsible, but now that the tech is out there. So, I mean, there's people actually building out these kind of softwares mm. out there. I literally this morning saw someone on YouTube talking about it and they're like, oh my God, this can do my voiceovers for me and it'll take out the work mm. for me. And this is great. I just have to type it out and it reads in my voice. Like, oh Doesn't my God, scare you? Yeah. someone can call someone and be yeah. like, hey, this is the conscious speaking yes. and this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, I never want that out there. Now I've got like, yeah. and I look at it, I'm like, I've got videos out there of me talking and presenting and stuff. My voice yeah. is out there. Yeah. Someone can just do that. And I'm like, oh my yeah. God, how do we safeguard ourselves against this? I don't know, but people don't see that. They're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. It takes out my work yeah. for the next 10 days. It's it's funny how, especially those of us who've been in who work in this industry, we always think worst case first, right? Um, I was I was talking to I guess it's because we always have to plan for the worst. So you just you, your mind automatically goes there. But I was talking yeah. to, to someone at, at at Summit a couple of weeks ago, and he said the same thing to me. He was like, We have a like our family now have a safe word. That if someone calls calls and is talking and we're not sure that it's actually the per, that, that person, like if my kid calls me and I'm not sure it's them, I'll ask them for the safe word, right? Just to make sure because you know scammers are doing that, like they're recording, well, generating messages based mm. on your voice, calling home saying, "Hey, I need money because of this, this, and this." Like send it to my cash app, right? And it's just it's just, it's just a scam thing. So. It's it is a scary world out there. Uh, one more thing, one more thing I wanted to mention before we can kind of wrap up here is Microsoft did just that at the I was at the Blue Hat um, Israel conference, the security conference in Israel, just uh, about a month ago, and the opening sequence of the of the conference, like the welcome video, was basically an AI generated sequence. But they had taken all these really well known movie scenes, stitched mm -hmm. them all, stitched them all together, and then did a 
completely changed the, what the characters said. So you had, you know, wow. Rocky and you had Darth Vader and you had Bill and Ted and you had, you know, Beavis and Butthead and, and even Britney Spears was in there and they were all obviously welcoming you to the conference instead of whatever the line was in the movie that they were actually, you know, supposed to be saying. So it was very well done, but at the same time made you kind of think, well, well this is pretty powerful stuff, right? And there's always the double edge to all of this stuff. Like it, it can be tremendously helpful, but then in the wrong hands, it can be tremendously harmful as well. Um, but I think that's a rabbit hole probably for a, for another episode that we should probably go down. So yes, if you, if you want to come back and talk about the, the harmful side of <laughs> the dark side of AI, uh, we'd love to have you back at some point uh, to, to dive down that, uh, that rabbit hole. Um, oh, I go on spirals every other day, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so before we sort of uh, finish up, um, you mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, some of the other podcasts that you're involved with. And I think there were some um, sort of women in tech type uh, um, groups and, and events that you you kind of do you want to talk about some of the things that you do in the community and how people can find you, um, mm. you know, on socials or your podcast, things like that? Yeah, no, that sounds great. I think, thank you for the opportunity to be honest. So yeah, I do run a few different things. Got a Lockdowns. So I was like, what what is the world not doing? What's there not enough of? Apparently podcasts have always started doing yeah. a lot of podcasts. And uh, no, I've got a podcast which is called Paths Uncovered. Um, it basically gets a bunch of different people on board and talk about their journeys into technology. So it's really underrepresented and kind of on um like really weird, bizarre pathways into uh tech, mm. so like really untraditional paths. Uh, so I've had people like English teachers and librarians and ballerinas like fully trained ballerinas who pivoted yep. into technology and down their careers and stuff and just how they managed it and the things that they value and don't value over time um so that's back again season two just started off uh this week actually so first episode's up and live and people can go have a listen and yeah the other podcast is more ai specific so global ai podcast it's a bunch of us mvps here in australia that we run it together and it's really bizarre topics like ai in couples therapy or ai in kind of infrastructure and mining and it's just we pick random industries and get people on board to come talk about how ai might be working in that specific industry so if that's of interest that's also available to you and if you're based anywhere in australia or even in just a time zone that works with australia um we do a lot of hybrid events for women who code uh from our melbourne network it's a global not-for-profit so if there's a network near you feel free to join those I run the one in Melbourne and we do a lot of different content. And I think the next event is going to be around job hunting and like strategically job hunting, especially the given climate of redundancies and stuff. It's a scary, scary world out there right now. So mm. yeah, we're just kind of here to support as much as we can, wherever we can. So please do give us those and we'll add them to the show notes. And as well as the, so show notes will, will be on um, your favorite podcast app, wherever you get your better podcasts which obviously includes ours as well as on on youtube so please do share those with us and we'll share them with the greatest of pleasure no i'm so glad thank you for having me on i don't know what the conversation was it's already gone out of my head my memory is again i've said it i'm like there's no memory left of me so i'm like i hope it was kind of somewhat worthwhile uh, it was a very rambly kind of wide-ranging conversation which is what i'm kind of all about right now to be honest but thank mm. you for having me yeah, it was our pleasure. Yeah, thank you for making the time. Um, really nice talking to you. Hey everyone, before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoyed putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.